I mentioned last week that I wanted to use these few Sundays leading up to Christmas to focus on the gift that is Christ. We talk about and we think a lot about gifts during the Christmas season, but the most precious gift of all that has ever been given is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And during this season, we remember that gift. We started last week looking at John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. And we spent our time focusing on the motivation for the gift of Christ, which is the love of God. God loved us in such a way, to such a degree, that he gave the most precious gift that could be given in his son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus on the reason for the gift And that is that it was motivated by love, but what was its purpose? What was God's plan in sending Christ as this gift to us? And I want to focus our attention this morning in the book of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where the Apostle Paul teaches us that the coming of Christ, the gift of Christ, God sending him into the world, was for our redemption that we might be redeemed. Let's read these two verses together. The Apostle Paul says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You and praise You for the gift of Christ. We thank you that you loved us in spite of our unworthiness, in spite of our sin and our guilt. You loved us and you gave us the greatest gift in the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to see today that he came with a definite purpose and that was to redeem his people, to set them free. Lord, thank you for the redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Him alone. Lord, bless this time of focusing on Your Word and reminding ourselves of what Christ accomplished for us. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that we see in this passage is that Christ's redemption was on time. Christ's redemption was on time. Paul makes a statement in verse 4, when the set time had fully come. And that just communicates the idea that God is sovereign over time, isn't he? God is sovereign over time. When you think about everything that transpired from when God said, let there be light, until that evening when Joseph and Mary are in that stable in Bethlehem, thousands of years of human history, nations rising and falling, God raising up a nation of Israel through Abraham and his descendants. Hundreds of years of God dealing with that nation of people, with Israel. Fathers and sons, grandsons and great-grandsons and great-great-grandsons. And you can read about them all in Matthew chapter 1. And see that lineage all the way from Abraham down to the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. And we think about all the centuries that passed, 
all the difficulties that Israel experienced. And then when you think about that from the end of Malachi, the last prophet, to the beginning of Matthew, when we start to read about the coming of Christ, there was about 400 years when really there was no prophecy, no new visions, no new prophets from God, no new revelation about how God was going to unfold his plan. It seems like a long time to us, and it is. Thousands of years, it's a long time. And yet, for God, everything was happening in accordance with his timetable, wasn't it? We read in Scripture that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. In other words, God's watch doesn't run on the same schedule as our watch. Time for us is is fixed, and it moves at a steady pace. It moves incrementally, and it seems like a long time unfolding. A lifetime of 70 years seems like a long time as you're living it, but then you look backward on it, and it seems like a flash, doesn't it? But for God, our lifespan is just a watch in the night, just a few hours. A day with Him is as a thousand years. God is not bound by time, He works in time to accomplish his purposes, but he is not bound by time. And so God is sovereign over all of these things. And when the time was right, in God's plan, he sent Christ into the world. And it's really amazing when you think about, maybe you've seen or read about some of these things before in thinking about Galatians 4.4, but just how everything in the world had come to a point that, that was very well established and set for the spread of the gospel. In, in history at that time, the Roman Empire had spread its influence throughout much of the Mediterranean world. As a result of that, there was largely peace throughout much of that Mediterranean world. And so all the way from... Egypt, all the way around the Holy Land, Israel, all the way across the northern side of the Mediterranean, Italy and Greece, all the way over to Spain, ruled by the Roman Empire, and it was all in peace. Not only that, but they had built roads. As the Roman army went and expanded, they built roads connecting all of these places, town to town and city to city. They established a very common language. The language of Greek was spoken pretty much all across the Roman Empire. And so when Jesus came and then he sent out his apostles into the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, could rapidly spread. It could rapidly spread through a time of peace, through a language that everybody understood, and through roads that everybody could travel and move about. God's in control of all that, isn't he? We read in Luke chapter 2, in the time of Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And everybody had to go back to their hometowns for that census, for that taxation, didn't they? And so Joseph and Mary had to go back to Bethlehem for that census in order to fulfill the prophecy of Micah 5.2, that in Bethlehem the Christ would be born. See, it all unfolds according to God's timetable. It all unfolds according to his plan. But when the time was right for God to fulfill his word and to bring to a culmination all of those Old Testament sacrifices and to bring Christ for our redemption, when the time came, God sent him into the world. 
and he was on time. We read in this passage that Christ's redemption was incarnational. In other words, the means that God chose to accomplish our redemption is by sending his son to us in human form. He took upon himself humanity. Verse number four says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. There's the gift. How did he send him? He sent him born of a woman. And I think this is a specific reference back to the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Born of a woman. Isaiah 7.14 prophesied it. That God would give a miraculous sign that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son and that she would call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We read in Matthew that that was fulfilled when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And he was born into the world, not of normal conception, but of supernatural conception. Jesus was born by means of the virgin birth, incarnation, God becoming flesh. As John 1.14 says, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. You ever think about the fact that there was no other way that God could have accomplished our redemption than this way? The incarnation of Christ was necessary for us to be rescued from our sin. God, in order to, in order to forgive us, we needed a representative to stand in our place who could stand for us and who could, who could be one of us. In other words, he had to be a son of Adam. He had to be a man. In order to be our mediator between us and God, he had to be a man. The man Christ Jesus. There was no other way that God could have done this. You think, how can you say that? God could do anything he wants. Well, I can say it because that's the way that God did it. And everything that God does is perfect and the best. So because this is the way that God did it, that's the only way that God could have done it. Because he chooses the best and the absolute perfect way to accomplish his purposes. So he, he went to redeem us through the incarnation of the Son of God. Through the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity who had always existed never ceasing to be God, but then adding to his nature of deity, also a nature of humanity, and fused into that one person forever now, the God-man. Both fully human and fully divine. Not 50-50, not 70-30, not 75-25, 100% God, 100% man. Both natures, fully divine, fully human, Together, unified forever in the one person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Born of the Virgin Mary, so that he might live a life of righteousness under the law. Paul says that he was born of a woman, but he was also born under the law. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus was born, he was born into the administration of Moses. He was born under the first covenant. He was born as an Israelite, circumcised on the eighth day, as every Israelite boy was. 
and he grew up under that Sinai covenant and he fulfilled it perfectly. He fulfilled it perfectly. Something that no other Israelite, no other child of Abraham under the Sinai covenant had ever done. Not only did he fulfill the law, but he obeyed every aspect of the perfect moral and righteous will of God. He was completely sinless in every respect. But he was born as a man. Why? So that he might represent us as a man before God. He was also born under the law. Why? So that he might represent those who were under the law. And so that he might redeem those who were under the law. And that he might rescue them. So he came to be our representative. And Paul says that Christ's redemption was on time. It was incarnational through the virgin birth. Christ's redemption delivers us from bondage. Christ's redemption delivers us from bondage. Verse 5 says that Jesus came, sent from the Father, to redeem those under the law. To redeem. We don't use this language very much anymore. But the key meaning of redemption is release. Setting free from bondage, from enslavement, typically by the paying of a price. And so in the ancient world, someone would be redeemed out of slavery through the purchase or through the giving of a price. Perhaps a family member, because of poverty or because of some difficult situation, had to sell themselves into slavery. Another family member, a kinsman, could perform the duty of that kinsman redeemer and could redeem them from slavery, could redeem property back for the family name. We see some of these elements in the story of Ruth where a close family member could redeem that which belonged to the family. It was the idea of setting free, of reclaiming. Jesus paid the price to set us free from our bondage. What were we in bondage to? Galatians 4, he says we were in bondage to the law. What does the law do? Well, the law shows us our sin, doesn't it? The law increases transgression. The law shows us how sinful we really are. Paul says in Romans that through the law, sin was actually multiplied. And so in freeing us from the law, he's also freeing us from sin. And he's freeing us from the guilt of sin and the bondage of sin. And he's setting us free from the guilt of sin, he's setting us free from the condemnation of sin. He's setting us free from the judgment that sin requires. What is what is Romans three twenty three says? It says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three says for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we deserve because of our sin 
and violating the law of God, whether it be the Mosaic law for Israelites or whether it even be the law of conscience or the law of nature or whatever God has revealed to us, we're all sinners. We're all depraved. We're all under condemnation. We are all liable to the guilt of sin under Adam, and we are all by nature destined for wrath as sinners and judgment. But Christ redeems. How did he redeem? He gave his life, didn't he? In order to redeem, there has to be the purchase of a price. There has to be the the payment. Jesus paid. Jesus atoned. Jesus provided for the redemption by means of the giving of himself, didn't he? Giving of himself to the death of the cross, shedding his blood, giving his life and representing us so that we might be set free from the bondage of sin and death and hell. Christ's redemption delivered us from bondage, set us free. We also see here in verse number five, Christ's redemption adopted us into the family of God. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I mentioned this last week, but God did not just forgive us. He made us a part of his family. It's one thing to redeem a slave and set that slave free. It's another thing to redeem that slave and then adopt that slave as your son or daughter. And that's what God did for us. He set us free from the bondage of sin and death and condemnation. But not only did he set us free, he brought us in and he welcomed us into the family of God. Such that we now can be called sons and daughters of God. Not because of anything that we have done, but all because of Christ. Jesus gave his life for ours so that now he might be called our brother and God our father. What an incredible thought that is. Think about, in your minds if you can, imagine someone who had done a horrific crime against you or your family. And you go to court And you are willing to substitute yourself or one of your family members so that that guilty person might go free. And then not only setting that guilty person free, but then going through the process of adopting that person into your family and making that person a rightful heir of your inheritance. That's what God did for us. God redeemed enemies. God redeemed rebels. God redeemed criminals. God redeemed people who were violating his will, who had offended him, who had done crimes of unrighteousness against him. God redeemed us and then brought us into his family. And as the parable of the prodigal son describes, he put a robe around us. He put new shoes on our feet. He put a ring on our hands and he gave us a feast and he brought us into the family of God. And he welcomed us into his home so that now we can be called 
his sons and daughters. That's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? God gave Christ out of love, but he gave him so that he might redeem us and make us his own. Bring us into his family. Set us free. Praise God. All glory be to God and his grace. Let's bow together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for how marvelously gracious and merciful you have been to us. Father, we deserve nothing from you except justice and judgment. And yet, Lord, you were superabounding in love and compassion. And you gave us Christ. And he came to live for us perfect life of righteousness under the law. He came to die for us, to become our punishment, to take sin and guilt upon himself and to redeem us, to set us free from bondage. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us sons and daughters, sons and daughters of God, and that now we can call you our heavenly father. You've made us heirs with Christ of our eternal inheritance. Lord, help us to rejoice. Help us to marvel at the gift that has been given. May we praise you and honor you with our lives. And may we spread this glorious message. Help us to be like the shepherds that went everywhere telling everyone the good news of the things that they had seen and heard. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.